Welcome to The Theater Project. Today, The Theater Project is thinking about playwriting competitions. Some of the past finalists from our own Think Fast competition sit with Mark Spina to give us their take on why playwrights enter these competitions and what are the pros and the cons they get out of it. We hope you enjoy. Hello, this is Mark Spina. Today's podcast is related to our Think Fast Festival. We invite submissions every fall, and we select eight finalists who will present 15-minute Zoom plays to our audience. We've decided to keep Think Fast a virtual event because it allows us to connect playwrights and audiences, actors and directors from all over the United States and sometimes beyond. Today we're talking to five of last year's finalists. Helen Mao from Only Maryland. Cindy Sansone Braff, East Patchogue, New York, Teddy Durgan, Wake Forest, North Carolina, Michael Towers, Westford, Massachusetts, and Kurt Strickland, Stoughton, Massachusetts. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Let's start with Teddy. I've had one full-length play, uh, but I've had a number of uh, 10-minute short plays and monologues produced, uh, mostly primarily in my home state of North Carolina. I have a wife who's an actress and director here in uh, North Carolina, and my daughter, Axe, and we have a dog and a cat. And... <laughs> okay, thank you, Teddy. Well, good evening, and thank you. Uh, I'm, my name is Michael Towers. I am a 30-year secondary ed theater teacher. And, uh, you know, like so many of us have been in the theater my whole life, uh, chiefly identifying as a playwright at this stage, but I have been a director, I have been a lighting designer, I have been an actor, uh, but now, uh, in addition to my teaching of uh, hundreds of theater students that I'm blessed to teach, I am a playwright. So my name is Kurt Strickland. I've been married 43 years with five grandkids. For years and years, I wrote plays very unsuccessfully. And uh, at some point I realized I didn't know the craft. And uh, so I went back to school. I hadn't, I never finished college. So I finished college at UMass. This is when I was 65 years old. Afterwards, I got in Leslie playwriting uh, master's program. And that really uh, changed my playwriting ability because I, found, I felt like I finally learned the craft. Although it's a lifetime learning thing. I've, I've written a lot of plays. Uh, I love being part of the theater community. And actually, I want to thank you, uh, Mark, for actually uh, putting on such a festival. It enables people like me to get our plays out there and seen and acting, which is invaluable. Okay. And Hel Helen? Oh, hi. Uh, my name is Helen Chang Mao. I'm a Chinese-American playwright in Maryland. I write mostly short plays, 10 to 15 minutes, but I have written longer. I also write um, monologues and shorter pieces, especially for Rated S Comedy, which is a sketch comedy group to which I belong. I've written plays that have been produced both online and in person in the UK, Florida, California, New Jersey, in Maryland also. Okay, thank you, Helen. And last but not least... Cindy? I am Cindy Sansobraff. Professionally, I'm known as the Romance Whisperer because I'm a psychic medium and relationship expert. I'm also a playwright and a member of the Dramatist Guild. I mean, I've been an actress, a dancer, and a director from Long Island, and I'm a psychic. Um, I've had several of my full-length plays 
self-published. I've had um, my plays produced in New York City and in different states across the country. So what I'd love to hear you guys talk about is why do playwrights participate in these competitions? Uh, What motivates you? What are the benefits? What are the pluses and minuses for you? Well, for me, the value is people see you work, number one. Number two, if they like your work, I've had a couple of theaters say, well, what else you got? And um, I was in secret theater and you have to produce your play. And I and that's in New York. I'm in Massachusetts. So the director Brian Doyle had a list of directors, and and uh, so I contacted a director, and she agreed to do it. And she knew actors, so that's another side product. Is you got you get introduced to this whole world of theater and production and actors, um, and how that all operates. So there's a website called Play Submission Helper. And they list all the theaters around the United States and they want a woman writer or a black writer and, you know, saves a lot of time. So you just can't go wrong by sending your stuff out. And sometimes you win a prize. gets a little expensive. You have to produce it, but it's great feedback. Yeah. Echoing exactly that. With an opportunity like this, Mark, as you said, we, in the Think Fast Festival, we got to connect with and collaborate with people all over the country in this one um, in this one festival, and w- when you're producing, which uh, which is very very common lately, I'm seeing a lot of opportunities where you're producing your own. But of course, you need to have the ability to be on site, you know, or you need to have a network in the city where where your show is being produced. And uh, you know, this this particular festival enabled people from all over the country to be present, so to speak. Uh, and, and that was a remarkable thing. But you're always we're we're in this very very small tight theater community, quite honestly. Uh, so it is remarkable uh, how many of the same circles we're running in. So I'm I'm just incredibly appreciative to continue to build network. Yes, as Kurt said, have my plays validated, seen, and heard, uh, and be part of that community. It's a remarkable thing. You know, it takes work to get your name out there, to get your plays out there. You know, I cherish every single opportunity, but um, takes a lot of submissions to have opportunities. You know, so you need to be in as many pools and as many piles as possible. And, uh, you know, if someone takes to your work, it, that's a, a thrilling uh, experience. Sure. This is Helen. I'll go next. Um, yeah, my answer is similar is the idea is I just want to see my work produced. It's a chance just to see what it can be realized. In other words, a lot of it, you know, you're reading on paper and it's in your head and when it actually can be produced, you can hear it, you can see it. Um, also I enter contests because it's not like I am a professional playwright who has an agent <laughs> so that I have someone who's, you know, sending plays to theaters. Um, so that's pretty much you know, the only way I probably could get have anything produced. And finally, I have to say, I may not enter all the contests that, I mean, there's so many out there. Uh, I may not enter, you know, all of them at all because um, I may not have, you know, what qualifies. But what I do love are prompts. See, uh, sometimes the, um, the prompts from um, some contests, they're so fun. They really, um, they really inspire me. 
Like uh, there was one recent one. This was in Hawaii, and it was uh, it was only like ten minutes. But imagine um, you have a character who made a New Year's resolution, and then there's a challenge to the resolution. What you know? What happens? And I don't know. I mean, that's fun. Yeah, and you're the first person to mention that, Helen. So that's that's a great point. Okay, Uh, interesting. And thank you for giving that example. So. uh... That's good to know. It's good for playwrights to hear, especially we're hoping some of our young playwrights will want to tune into this and uh, get ideas once they age out of the high school and college competition. What's out there for them? Great. Teddy? Yes. Um, no, I, what I got into plays because for years and years and years, I wrote, um, I have a film review column. Uh, I'm a journalist by trade, and my creative pursuits, uh, I, I got a novel published. But even in the film reviews and stuff, and especially the book, but you don't get the audience reaction when you do that. You know, somebody will buy it, they'll read it in their home, and they'll, yeah, if they figure out a way to correspond with you, they'll say, hey, that was funny, I loved it, or, you know, whatever. But it's an ego thing, but you don't get that audience reaction. You don't get that thing, even if it's something that's it, that touches you. It doesn't have to be a laugh thing. My wife, who's a director, she was uh, directing this children's theater class right before the pandemic, and she needed a short play because her students are all like little kids, and she needed a play. She couldn't find one that had the exact number of boys and girls and the number that they needed to, to stage something. They wanted to stage something. So she, she asked me, you have something. And I wrote this thing called Remembering Frosty. It, it worked really well. And like all the parents in the neighborhood were laughing. I'm like, oh, well, I want to do more of that. You know? So that's how I started kind of doing that. And that's what I kind of seek out. Mostly in, in the competitions, I seek out the ones that will get performed. Yeah, that brings up an interesting point. So Teddy, it sounds like you're focused on short pieces for theater. Right now, I have had one full-length play. I've got one full-length. All these competitions sometimes ask for the ten minutes. Sometimes it's a one act. Sometimes, so you try and you do try and tailor different stories that are in your head to the different uh, time things of what they want. A one act, a ten minute, a, a one minute. And as a playwright, we're supposed to. Normally, you would never have something published as a play unless it had been produced first. So. If a play is published without having been produced, there might be things later on that really aren't working and you have no idea of knowing that because it hasn't been produced yet. So I think if you're going to be a published playwright, you really do have to have some venue for having it produced first. And festivals yes. serve that. And they give and you have an audience, you know, so that's important too. Do any of you have preferences about producing the work yourself for a competition? versus having the venue produce it for you. They both have distinct positives. The idea of self-producing is exciting because you you get to be part of the process, right? Uh, very much part of the process, whether, whether you are directing yourself or whether you're just in the room. And I've certainly done both. But also, I, ha- I am very, very lucky to have a network of actors and directors. Uh, I'm a teacher. I have students that are age eight to 18. So when you're called upon to produce, you can create an opportunity for somebody inside of your community. And that is thrilling. So the, the, the benefits of producing are that you get to create opportunities uh, for people inside of your community and, and get, get to be very present in the process. And there's also a very, very distinct advantage and benefit from having somebody say, hey, Mike, we got this. We're, he- we're here in Dallas. We don't, we don't need your help. We don't want your help. We have our own vision. And that is thrilling as well. 
You know, I, I would love to be able to visit every single community everywhere in the country that was producing my play. Obviously, it's an impossibility, but just the idea of my work being received and interpreted and produced without me present, thrilling. You know, I don't I don't want to produce my own plays. Uh, now, if my play was happening in Boston, I might be inclined. Now, I, I've always... For these things, there's always a director. I just give that person a few notes, but I really trust them um, to evolve what the script is. I was reading something recently, August Wilson. Lloyd Richards was his director, and he had everything written out and and et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, as he evolved, he got a different director, and they looked on the play as organic. August Wilson would go to rehearsals and see what was working, what, what wasn't working. And so that's the ideal scene. I don't want it, like, I, I want to hand it to the director. And there's so many different stuff, you know, that they have to do, you know, the marketing and the stuff like that. I just don't, please, for, please don't let me do that. <laughs> but I've really learned a lot how different actors interpret it. And through that evolution, I realized how I want. Um, but God, <laughs> save me from producing. It's one of the ways to get your plays out there. It's one of the ways that we can do it. And, you know, I love sometimes when I could produce it myself because I do like directing myself, which some people say is a real no-no, but I like doing that. So with your competition, I like that we could do it on our own and I love that you let us do Zoom because it makes it a little bit easier. I did it for your festival. And then I had another festival in Chicago. They produced it. And it was, and I didn't get to see it until that moment. So I didn't know what to expect. So it's interesting to have it both ways. Um, I don't mind producing my own. I do oftentimes like having other people do it. So it just depends if I feel it's a play I can produce myself, if it's you know relatively easy to produce, doesn't need a lot of actors, too much time. If it's something more complicated, sometimes I would prefer someone else to perhaps do it. But it it seems to, for me, the only way I can actually see my work's being done. How do you feel about having a festival uh, do your work when you're not going to be able to see it? I mean, how does that work for you? Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of bummed. When I've had work done and I haven't been able to see it has been short pieces. Like I, I write primarily 10 minute, 15 minute anyway, because I would love to see them, but I don't, I mean, I, I'm fine with it. And I do appreciate that when I can get a recording. I had one done recently and I didn't get to see it until that day. So I had no idea what to expect. And I produced that one myself. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of exciting, you know, to turn your piece over and then to see what somebody else does with it, what they, you know, how they interpret it. Because um, you live with it for so long. Sometimes it's a long time you're, you're living with a, a stories or characters. And then to kind of, I guess I kind of like leave a bit of my ego off when I, once I release it into the world, um, you know, then I, I just like kind of let it breathe. It's like letting a kid go, I guess, or whatever. And uh, it, then it's their time to have a little fun with it. So there's all sorts of different ways to, to do it and be excited about it. Just wondering uh, if you have ever served as a reader uh, for any kind of a, a screening process. And if you, as a, as a 
judge or even as a playwright have any tips? What what are the kinds of things, red flags perhaps that uh, some newer playwright might be making a mistake that's getting not helping them get out of the slush pile? I mean, what are the things you look for that are positive, and and what are some rookie mistakes that you'd like to advise playwrights, especially younger playwrights? You know, don't let this happen to you. Well, it would be no different than what I teach in the classroom every single day. Uh, and that is, it, it's, it's abstract, but something that moves me. Okay. I'm, and what moves me is maybe probably what moves all of us, which is some, some element of human truth, meaning, you know, something that I, as now an audience member, feel as if I can identify inside of the world of that play you know, I don't need to see myself as a character, but I do need to see something that resonates with me, something that I've experienced. For example, very, you know, this is obviously a universal truth, but, you know, the, the, the conflict of generations, you know, if I see a, if I read a play that is about tension that exists between a, a son and their father, now that resonates with me two ways. I have a son. Uh, and I am a son. But with regards to the style and the manner of that, whether it's science fiction or horror, it can be many, many different things, but I'm looking for something that is going to move me to laughter, move me to tears, move me to to argument, conversation, action, uh, something that's just takes me out of the world that I'm living in and into the one they've created. You know, and Kurt's play, you know, speed dating absolutely did that. Another universal human emotion of grief and sadness. Um, so, uh, and yet somehow he can draw me in and make me laugh. Uh, I've never been on a festival committees and stuff like that. People do send me their work. And what I do is like everybody has great stories to tell. What I right back is basically uh, points where they violate the craft. If you violate the craft, it's not going to be good. So I'd look for those instances and praise what they did right and just sort of nail down craft things. And I invite them to send me them back with the rewrites. But that's a lot of work, a lot of reading. (laughs) You know, when I finish a a full-length play, I always send it to a working playwright. And uh, that is so invaluable. There's playwrights in Minnesota, playwrights, uh, I forget what it's called. But anyway, they have a bunch of playwrights on staff. For $250, they'll they'll, uh, go over your script. And I'll tell you, it's invaluable. Uh, It gets you a different perspective because you get a little blind writing your own stories. And you need that person look overlooking and say, you know, and it's amazing what obvious things they point out to me. It's really stunning. Playwright Center, I just remembered. And the second the second one is Manhattan Repertory. And they do, again, for 250 they'll do your play. And it's interesting. I sent the same play to both places. And, and actually, you know, I learned from each one. Each one was very helpful. Uh, but those two are very, yeah, it's reasonable, 250 you know. You're... Uh, milking their 20, 30 years of playwriting experience. That's invaluable. I've been a theater critic. That's the, and it, as a theater critic, we have to look for certain things and it's mostly, you know, looking, I like to look mm-hmm. for emotional impact. Does, does, 
do I feel something strongly emotional coming out of this? Um, I think a mistake a lot of new playwrights make, you know, because I, I do do uh, theater reviews mm-hmm. for some festivals, one act festivals. Okay. And, you know, some of it, I just think sometimes people just don't start. They start like, hi, how are you? And, you know, they don't start in the mm-hmm. middle of something happening. Like, you know, we don't need the introduction. Just start your scene in the middle. Get us it. Get us right there. You know, so getting them to sometimes speed up the pace of the scenes, sometimes the dialogue um, isn't as concise or, you know, they're missing some of the, the rhythm that should be there. You know, dialogue is a little hard for people to master. So, you know, I would advise you to just go see as many plays as you can read plays, mm-hmm. as many plays as you could, because reading is different. It's like just because you listen to music mm-hmm. doesn't mean you know how to play mm-hmm. music. So you actually have to read the script. So I think maybe, you know, listen, read scripts and then listen to a podcast or go watch the show and see how it goes from paper to stage. Helen, you were going to say something. I actually, I've been a reader for um, the, actually for the Baltimore Playwrights Festival. I know it sounds like it's a conflict of interest because I've also answered, but it's, there's so many plays and you just have to review them and you're, you're talking about like why you would you know, why you would recommend it or how strongly you'd recommend it. And um, I, I mean, I actually just really like doing that because I could see the wide range of what people were submitting because everybody is so different in terms of their mood, their writing style, like what issues they're concerned. So, and I've also um, done play reading for um, the Silver Spring stage, which is also in Maryland um, in terms of picking which ones we were going to do for a season. And things I look for, like, how does it grab me right from the beginning? Sometimes people start with, hi, hello, how are you? And they're not in the action yet. Is the dialogue natural? I mean, one big thing for, I would say to playwrights is you may ha- write a dialogue and then then go back to the next day and read it again and then read it out loud because the way it sounds is going to be different than the way it appears on paper. Definitely. Because sometimes things seem very clever on paper. Like, oh, yeah. But then when I say it, I'm like, well, that was, that was like a mouthful. And that slows down the rhythm. So another thing I think of is, like, how cohesive is it? Because sometimes I remember when I was reading more um, the full-length plays where the characters may refer to something that really wasn't explained that well earlier. Not that it has to be, like, obvious and then it becomes repetitive. But at the same time, it wasn't even introduced well enough to begin with. It just doesn't seem to have um, earned its value later in the play. And also, you know, new playwrights or any playwrights, when you're submitting to contests, and we were discussing this, submitting is, it takes a lot of time because every single competition has its own requirements. Some want blind submissions, which means name on the cover page only sent as a separate file. Others want formatting differently. Um, but just be very careful that you're following directions. You're making things really easy to read, just the physically easy to read in terms of the typeface and the, and the size, which is, you know, tends to be specified too. Um, so those are those Thank are you. important. We try to encourage the high school playwrights to start thinking about some of these festivals, uh, to start getting their work out there mm-hmm. beyond the, the world of high school. And, and so this is all great advice for them. Anything mm-hmm. else, anybody, about... Uh, what judges might look for, uh, what impresses you when you're evaluating a script. I like the characters to be redeemable, you know, know, that we can relate to them. Um, Thematically, I'm interested in, you know, what themes they're pursuing. And um, I think sometimes with newer playwrights, you're, you haven't, 
kind of hone down your themes. So there's a lot of stuff that doesn't belong there. It might be interesting, but it doesn't add to the theme and it needed to be cut. Sometimes it's just learning how to cut things when, you know, you know, mm-hmm. I when in doubt, cut it out. So, um, you know, just those are things that you learn as a playwright after a while, how to hone it down. It's it's very economical writing, playwriting. They're very concise. I said, because I write like mm, a playwright. Mm-hmm. Every word counts. So I think beginning playwrights hold on too much to their babies. Mm, they don't mm-hmm. cut enough. And even with uh, Tennessee Williams, you know, um, he was always mad at Eliza Kazan because he cut the play so much. And I think Glass Menagerie was the play that made me want to be a playwright at 15 when I read it. I think it's brilliant. But Tennessee Williams was mad how much it was cut. And kind on a hot tin roof he didn't like the broadway ending he has another ending and another mm-hmm. thing i mean he kept revising over and over and if you look at some of his works now streetcar named desire they need cutting and yet because you watch modern audiences they're actually falling asleep if, if it's so good cut out the scene or whatever is i put it in my notes from the play put it somewhere so i have it mm-hmm. I don't delete it it still exists and maybe it'll be a good one minute play Maybe it'll be a good, you know, 10-minute play. Maybe you could use it for something else. Okay, great. Thank you. You know, I, one of the things I discovered, you know, because I'm new to this, is there's a million community mm. theaters and um, uh, there's a million festivals. You know, some have prize money, some don't. But the main thing is just get your plays out there. Yeah, I would, building on that, again, things that I've learned you do need to be specific about who and where you're you're submitting meaning as 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 Kurt mentioned earlier um every house has different missions and every uh every house is, is looking for something for their audiences and sometimes they're they're giving you prompts you know there's a lot of a lot of festivals out there that will say we're only going to accept brand new plays that are written starting right now based on this prompt. And, you know, cause they're looking to build a cohesive night of theater as well. So I'd say it, it's very important uh, to be aware, to be respectful, to be mindful of what the expectations of the house are, what the producing agent um, because it is an amazing thing. I, I haven't been at this game too long, 10 years or so, but it seems as of late, these these festivals are getting not just hundreds, but thousands of submissions in some. And, you know, that is really, you know, inundating these these houses. And sometimes, you know, it might be a day and the window closes, You know, so not only are you aware of what they're looking for, but you know, when that, when that window opens, you know, I just missed one that, that probably said it opened on February 2nd. And I went in today, two days later closed. And they said 500 was the, was the limit. And they were open until March 15th. There is one that is also the short and sweet festival. This is an international festival that happens in uh, cities around the world. And when you submit, there is a submission fee, but when you submit, it's being entered into many, many pools. So that's very exciting because you're being read across the globe. 
you know, it's, it's pretty exciting to get a, to get a, a, an email saying, Hey, you, your show has been named a finalist in Sydney, Australia. And one submission puts you into all of those pools. So short plus sweet is the, is the name of that festival. So it's one to look out for. So we've already talked about what other playwriting competitions you've been involved with. Are, are there any other uh, playwriting competitions that you would particularly like to do, give a shout out for or something that you really liked or didn't like or something? Yeah, well, it's just basically that when you do a festival, if, you know, we have to break up the, our own sets when it's a produ- self-produced at a festival, just... Give us a little time to enjoy the applause before we have to break down the Right, set. because some schedules are scheduled so tightly that they have an, another group yeah. pouring through the door before you can even take your bows. Right, exactly. You, you know, I think that's something that hopefully venues will think about how to, how to arrange that so that you can savor that moment and leave a little breathing space between plays rather than cramming four into a day, which is, I think, what... what some festivals will do four full lengths in a day. That's tough. So I, I guess one thing I wanted to ask is, I mean, I think a common thread is you seeing the work in front of an audience, I think is always an education I mean, for all of us, you know, actors, directors, playwrights, but do any of, of the writers, do you use shorter pieces uh, as springboards for longer ones? I, I'm, I'm honestly asking, I, I don't know, maybe it happens sometimes and not others. I've always wondered if it's, you know, like a, a an artist's sketchbook, you know, you might do a thumbnail sketch of something that you, you later expand into a larger work, or you, you discover a character that you'd like to explore in a longer work. Does that ever happen? Uh, are any of these short plays? It happened to me, and it. I can thank your uh, Think Fast project for this because um, after I did the first play, you were so gracious to ask if we wanted to have something read by the library. Which is, uh, it was basically um, a one-man radio play. But after I heard that, mm. it did inspire me to make it longer. Had Let us have a reading of something that you know, was in that play I had just finished when I had the reading, so I didn't know where it could go. I'm from Maryland, and there's the Baltimore Playwrights Festival. Um, again, this is limited to, you know, Maryland residents, but if anybody from Maryland is listening. Also, there's a Fells Point Corner Theater, which also may be Maryland only, but I'm not sure. That is in Baltimore, the theater. Um, and then there's New City Players in Florida, um, in terms of actual other sources, ones that I check every day in terms of lists is New York City Playwrights. Right. There's also Play Submissions and Competitions, which is a Facebook group run by Rachel Feeney Williams. Those are the main festivals I can think of that I would recommend. But the final question is, um, so you're both alums of the Think Fast Festival. You produced a, a play or given a director a play to produce for you. And we now have a, you know, this year's crop getting ready to do the same thing. Anything you would tell them ahead of time, any advice you would give them based on your past experience, uh, what would you tell a writer who's getting ready to put it together for an online Zoom production? Um, if they have time to uh, rehearse with their own actors, that will work out a lot of the bugs. And then once they're really happy with that, then they can um, basically lock it in. But, uh, you know, it, it would be a great luxury to really work on it before the festival is filmed. Right. 
that that is absolutely the main thing that the Zoom platform became a gift, right? That was at first unimaginable. That it was, you know, all theater died, and um, this thing that we all love to do so much, you know, was put on pause until this, this Zoom platform was introduced, which was an extraordinary gift at the time. But the name of the game doesn't change. You need to have actors who are willing to be artists and and take risks and really do the things that one would do in in a in-person event, which is listen, absorb the the action of the play, to take time with it and respond thoughtfully and truthfully. And and that still to me it was the key. I would advise them to make sure that when they do the production, it is for online because there's a, there is a benefit to being on zoom in terms of being able to switch mm-hmm. backgrounds so quickly sets, you know, you don't have to worry about breaking down or building a set at all. So take advantage of that. Take advantage of what you can do online that you would be more difficult to do in person, but also think about when you're writing it, that Basically, translate. If you're translating from stage to Zoom, make sure you do a good job of it and take advantage of um, what you can do online. Great. That's great. I will pass that along. Anything else? I think have your actors well rehearsed, you know, because when you go, it's it's basically there's no cut. It's a 10-minute performance. Yeah. And um, we had four terrific actors. We, we rehearsed it uh, really, really well. They knew those parts. They, I mean, the guy who played Santa in my play, he, he that, that was his 51st year of playing Santa mm-hmm. in some form. Uh, he'd had a one man show. He'd been a Santa at a mall. He, I mean, he was just, he was phenomenal. And the other three are, are were just top notch stage actors that, that my wife knew and worked with. And they, they just knew how to, you know, don't, you know, if you have a friend, well, I think I'd like to do it. You know, it'll, it'll sound off. You know, you have to kind of get on that same page in those 10 minutes, have it very well rehearsed. There's no cutting. There's no, you, you gotta, you know, if, if something happens on the thing, it, it, you know, just go past it, whatever. And, uh, and they were, they were great at that. There was like a, like one or two tiny little flubs and you would never have even known it. Great. And I would say, make sure they they have zoom lights that the lighting is good. And mm-hmm. because sometimes what you're seeing in zoom is one person has a good lighting and the other people don't. And that becomes disturbing if it's supposed to be in the same scene like how is this one in dark and this one's in light so as you know i would tell them to concentrate a little bit on let's see everybody's lighting how it's going to be whatever time of day you're going to be filming it you have to get them together the day before to make sure that that light because it's different i don't care if their makeup is great if the lighting's bad it's it's not going to look good so you might have spent an hour and a half on your makeup, but that lighting yeah. just washed it all out. So it was totally useless. <laughs> I mean, Oprah Winfrey has spent a fortune when she did her show on mm-hmm. each lighting for that show because she knew the lighting made her look good and everybody else look good. Mm-hmm. So focus on that technical aspect of the lighting. Thanks, everybody, for sharing your experiences so eloquently. We're just hoping that this will be a fun teaser for Think Fast and For people who are thinking about entering next year, they can benefit from your experience because this podcast will remain on the website. Uh, New writers will be able to tap into it and get some ideas, some guidance, and we'll include a list of references. I've really enjoyed talking to everybody. Thanks again for being here today. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Theatre Project Thinks About. Our audio engineer was Gary Glore, and our theme music was by Gail Liu and Damien DeSandes. Visit thetheaterproject.org to sign up for our mailing list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a comment on our Facebook or Instagram page. That's all for this episode. We'll see you next time.